which is called The Science Podcast. And these are a, a couple of atheists that run this podcast. So I thought you'd be interested to hear what they say. This is only one little bit, it's like it's over half an hour, and I couldn't play you the whole thing because I'd have to have so many beeps in it bleeping out uh, the expletives. Because you can't pray in this shit's a space! Tonight's episode of the Science Enthusiast Podcast is brought to you by the Red Cross, the Foundation Beyond Belief, all the first responders to Hurricane Harvey, and Donald Trump's reaction to the hurricane because, whoa, dude, thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thanks for coming out. <laughs> thanks for coming out. What a turnout. What a turnout. What a, what a turnout because no, nothing says a whole fucking terrible literal shitstorm happened and thanks thanks like, for stopping by. Literal shitstorm. Fun facts. I mean that sewers like that water has to go somewhere. Yeah. And and it's not going anywhere quite yet since we're recording this on August 29th. Uh, not even not even just a five days after landfall right yeah so and, and our president just decided to to show up thumbs up and say thanks for coming out <laughs> nice hurricane guys well done I, well done well I'm, I'm 125 so miles big. an hour wow yeah so so that that was his his response but um but well done to every human <laughs> who put in effort to good and good to be well, there during this disaster yeah, and good luck to everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Jesus says Christ. that, motherfucker says that right before getting on a goddamn plane or helicopter or where, whatever it was, and, and then partying this, uh, can we, there's so I much know. to talk about, but we gotta, I, I feel like we gotta keep it a little bit more more focused here. Yeah, so why don't, uh, why don't you introduce us and what we're doing, and then I, yeah, then I have, I have something a little more yeah, focused, I think, uh, to say. Well, Maybe. Well, thank you for listening to the Science Enthusiast Podcast. My name is Dan, and as always, I'm joined by my bracket, insert adjective here, bracket, friend, Natalie. Hey, I thought you could I think changed the that spot. the other day. <laughs> I changed that the other day because I realized it was the same one as last week's, yeah. and you did not change it back. Well, So it's in the Google Doc. I'm going to read in- what it, what's written there. You'd be so bad with a teleprompter, like um, at an award show or something, if you had to read <laughs> and someone could just write all sorts of terrible, terrible things. And, and Hitler had some word. good ideas. If someone could just edit that out of context, and we will be the Nazi enthusiast podcast. Um, that's that's okay. That's that's positive. Well, not positive attention. It's attention, and it's attention. you're going to hate listen. People are going to yeah. hate listen and then go, wait, that's not what, what what has been said. And then they're going to go, oh, that Natalie Newell, she, she is just so goddamn charming. Totally. And they'll continue Absolutely. listening. Absolutely. Yeah, because that, that's why that's why they come here, for my my charm, clearly. Well, they, yeah. I certainly don't come here for me. But <laughs> at any rate, we have, uh, well, we're going to we, forego our God of the yeah. Week. Well, I, I guess we could really thank the God that both, uh, or either caused or failed to prevent the hurricane so of course uh let's all pray to him uh but in the meantime if you want to do something that's actually uh useful uh yeah, or accomplishes so, anything at all in this context uh why don't you tell us about our what we're uh, doing here saints of the week are we gonna yeah do, I don't, so I don't so here to... so here's the thing i um i thought okay I'm not going to do a God of the Week because in the wake of this hurricane, I just want to make special, extra special mention of the fact that thoughts and prayers are useless. Um, So that being said, 
in this time of crisis, people, people, real people are just stepping up and taking action, not just sending their prayers into the heavens. And I want to give a special shout out to our friends Callie and Ari over at the Gaytheist Manifesto because Mm -hmm. they broadcasted live um, for four hours the other night and raised over $3,000 for Foundation Beyond Beliefs disaster relief efforts. And that is what humanism looks like coming together for yeah. a cause. They had a whole bunch of people come on the show and and just fill these four hours with content and encourage people to donate. And so, you know, taking a, at least a little example from them, I want to, you know, we want to encourage people who are listening to donate to whatever disaster relief effort they can or volunteer your time or even if you don't have the time or financial resources, share links to to places to donate and to other resources on your social media accounts. Just kind of be the person that our president can see, can't seem to be and, you know, be excellent to each other every day. And I don't know, in our show notes, we'll have some links to organizations who are accepting donations for disaster relief. And yeah, I think that right now, it seems like every day there's something terrible, whether it's a natural disaster or, you know, some bullshit coming out of the White House or whatever, it is important every day to continue being good to each other in whatever capacity we can. And let's do that in this case. So thank you in advance to everybody for putting yourselves out there and doing what you can to help. And on that note, we will be back after a short break with our interview with, I said with twice here, that's not good podcasting, with with our interview with Michael Shermer. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, So I assume that most people who are watching this or listening are probably familiar with you and your work, but can you give a little bit first of your background um, and how skepticism became the subject for which you're so well-known? Right. Well, back by way of background, there's the background. That's my <laughs> office. And, All the and books. Like, here's just a sampling of books that have come in the last, like, two months for review. Uh, so, I mean, it's just... Uh, a little overwhelming how many uh, nonfiction uh, books are, particularly in the sciences. I mean, these are all pretty much science books in just the last, say, few months that have come in for review. Uh, so that's part of our job is just finding the time to, you know, to deal with all these things. It's a good problem to have in a sense because it's a sign that uh, the popularity of science writing has increased enough that there's a publishers who obviously feel there's a market for this many books yeah. and uh so that's I, i'd say that's real progress from say decades ago when maybe i was in college and there were only a handful of popular science books that you could read otherwise they were mostly technical and uh so now there is something of a a genre of of um of of books that um are not only readable by the general public but they're also original content 
by the author, the scientist. So, for example, my favorite example of this is Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs, and Steel, uh, about why um, civilizations uh, developed differentially over the last 13,000 years around the world. And uh, that's not the popular version of his technical theory published in some journal or or scholarly book. That's the only available edition, period. Uh, and there's a lot, a lot of books like that. Uh, you know, like a lot of Richard Dawkins' books are like that. Uh, Stephen Pinker's books are like that. My books, I try to make them like that. So I, you know, I think that's that's a good sign. So that's really kind of the captures the answer to your question is, you know, we're trying to um, write, publish through Skeptic Magazine in my books and through podcasts or whatever, you know, content that um, is for everybody. And it's not just popularized versions of things, but but it's the only versions. And our wheelhouse, as it were, is is um, kind of the borderlands of science, or the margins of science, or the fringes of science, or pseudoscience, pseudo history, alternative medicine, alternative archaeology. Uh, in other words, the you know sort of the if you take something like Scientific American, which I write a monthly column for. Um, uh, you know, they would never. The, the other authors in there would never deal with the kinds of topics that we would deal with, like conspiracy theories or science and religion and things like that. You know, they're covering more mainstream topics, and I would not bother with like writing about CRISPR, the genetic, uh, uh, pro, you know, the genetic technology, mm-hmm. um, because that's already being covered by mainstream science writing. Uh, so you know, we kind of have separate, slightly separate worlds, and. And I got into that just by um, personal interest. I was always interested in, when I was studying science on the margins. You know, the what's the deal with creationism? Why <laughs> why don't they accept evolution? Uh, you know, and 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 there from there it turns out there's a whole bunch of areas. And what I discovered in in the 1980s, uh, watching some debates between creationists and evolutionary biologists, is that the creationists were winning because the scientists thought it was a debate about facts and evidence, but that's not what's really going on with creationism. And unless you know what their real motives are and then what arguments they're going to use to get you, get people to, um, you know, join their side for their political or religious motives, um, then you don't, you don't know what's going on. So, you know, the scientist delves into the fossil evidence or whatever creationist isn't interested in the fossil evidence uh, other than to swat it away so he can get to the you know the point that he really wants to talk about you know that you should accept jesus <laughs> yeah anyway so so, you, I mean, it takes, yeah you had said uh our alternative uh was it paleontology or archaeology archaeology yeah Arche- archaeology. what the hell is that like that's oh, a thing these are, uh, al- <laughs> these are theories yeah like i was just on joe rogan's podcast for almost four hours <laughs> Uh, we will not keep it, you that long. <laughs> yeah, uh, with uh, Graham Hancock, and then, now Graham is is um, a famous author for um, you know searching for Atlantis. That that would be an alternative theory of of history. Of course, he doesn't think it's alternative. He thinks <laughs> mainstream archaeology is too dogmatically closed minded to evidence indicating this ancient lost civilization. In any case, so. Uh, but most mainstream archaeologists don't accept it because the, the, the evidence is not there for such a lost civilization. So they reject it. And, and there's hundreds of these kinds of things. You know, who really built the pyramids? Mm-hmm. How were they built? Who really discovered America? You know, not Columbus. 
and, and so, for example, a mainstream archaeological debate may be, when did the Native Americans, uh, first humans, colonize the Americas? When, when, when did the Native Americans become Native Americans? And, you know, is it one wave, multiple waves? Did they come by land? Did they come by sea? And so on. The alternative archaeology people would have, you know, have something completely different that they want to talk about. You know, the, the Romans came here or the, the, the lost tribe of the Jews came here or, you know, ships from Africa came here to South America and so on. Uh, you know, so that's kind of how those things separate. And there's books about this, people that specialize, archaeologists that specialize in so-called alternative archaeology. So there's that is a, there's an irrational belief for pretty much like for <laughs> right. everything basically. Well, it, it, rule, it's rule interesting. What well, the way the reason we what we use it for for science education is well, how do archaeologists know anything about the past? What 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 do they make their decisions on? Yeah. You know how reliable is carbon fourteen dating, uh, or any of the other you know older dating techniques? And and you know when you dig up a, a you know a piece of of potsherd how do you know how old it is and you know what what the other evidence is for what these people were like i mean they're gone they're dead you know how can you know bones bones fossilize but behavior doesn't fossilize so how do you infer behavior well you know cave paintings and symbols on the cave paintings or symbols on pottery and you know, things like that you know so there's a lot of inferential science going on there and and so it's a all of these Topics are a way, like in my class, to say, how do we know, how do scientists know anything? And then you're off and running talking about you know, the scientific method without actually saying that. So, so you teach Skepticism 101. So can we talk a little bit about sort of what, what is skepticism as like a, a way of thinking or a toolkit for understanding the world? Like how would you define what skepticism and the goals of you know, skeptical thinking are. Yeah, I like that toolkit. I mean, that's a that's a good metaphor. I mean, it's a it's a set of tools that we use um, to evaluate claims. Mm -hmm. And really, si skepticism is just science. All scientists are skeptical, are skeptics, and they're skeptical of claims. Uh, and so, and, and the reason for that is because most ideas that people come up with are wrong. And even scientists, you know, I mean, one of the jobs of a scientist is to throw out hypotheses mm -hmm. to try to figure out some problem. Could be this, could be A, B, C, D, E, and you just throw them out, throw them out, see what sticks, see what sounds reasonable to your colleagues, what has evidence, what doesn't have evidence, uh, what you can run an experiment on to test, you know, these sorts of things. And, and, and so, you know, science begins with the null hypothesis, which is that your hypothesis is not true. So if you say, well, I have a cure for AIDS, the FDA is not going to just give you a uh, a patent on your claim because you have an anecdote. Uh, well, not yet, at least. Give it a, give it a year or two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's another story. I mean, maybe they're too too cautious. Maybe they're not cautious enough, you know. Um, but in any case, uh, 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 you know, you actually have to present your evidence. What's Where's your, uh, your epidemiological studies? Where's your you know, double blind tests that you ran or whatever. Um, and we're not going to believe it until you provide that. So it's, it, and that applies to everything, you know, it's Bigfoot, maybe, you know, there might be a Bigfoot, show me the body and I'll believe. But until then, that's, I'm that's one I didn't, 
I didn't hear anything about Bigfoot coming out uh, during the solar eclipse this week. I thought that was, that was yes, to... yes, that's right. And I was in Oregon for that, so yeah, that's <laughs> the, Bigfoot, right? Bigfoot, but 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 he wasn't at, at the parking lot at the original Pancake House. So uh, you know, so what can I say? I didn't see him. Yeah. Um. So I think like the next place maybe I'd like to to go is something that you know came out i guess and i i know you've talked about this a lot on other podcasts and everything too but you know the idea of um this conceptual penis hoax oh yes can we, uh-huh. can we talk can we talk about that um so dan do you want to kind of lead into well the i mean on this and 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 i know just for a little bit of background this was a i mean i i guess i could you we're involved on this. So I guess I can just kind of let you set up and explain like the background and the, and the purpose of it. Uh, well, I, um, okay. Uh, so Pete uh, Bogosian and mm-hmm. James Lindsay wrote the paper and submitted it to a couple of journals. I didn't know about any of that. I didn't even know they had done this until, you know, just Pete told me one day, Hey, we, we, we got it. We got, we got this paper and it's going to be published. And, and would you like to publish our expose explaining why we did it? It's like, okay. So, uh, we did. And uh, I was always uh, intrigued by the original big hoax uh, back in uh, 1994, where Alan Sokol, you know, wrote trans, mm-hmm. trans, transgressing the boundaries, you know, sort of faux literate, lit crit type quantum physics paper. Uh, and at the time, he was hammered pretty hard for that. Uh, I mean, severely criticized, like this, does, this doesn't prove anything. Mm-hmm. And now he's kind of elevated as this hero. Like this was a great thing that he did because, you know, the lit crit studies have, have gotten out of hand too too far with the language and, and science-y sounding jargon. Uh, so I always thought that that, that had a useful, um, I guess, lesson for everybody. And, uh, so when Pete did that, I thought, you know, I mean, I don't know James Lindsay, but Pete's a pretty good friend. So uh, I thought, yeah, yeah, that, that's, uh, I like that. So we published the expose and some people thought it was great. Some people thought it was terrible. Uh, you know, the, the, the reviews were pretty mixed. I have to say, I, I didn't do a count, uh, anywhere, but you know, my, my sense was pretty, pretty split. Uh, maybe, I don't know, 50, 50, whatever. Um, and, uh, and there was much criticism about the, you know, which what the journal was. How good was the journal? Okay, mm-hmm. was it a pay-for-play journal? No, but you know, it wasn't a very high-ranked journal. It wasn't even a gender studies journal. It's a social science journal. And you know, how hard is it really to get something published in in, in a lower-tier journal? Probably not that hard. But to me, none of that really mattered because uh, what mattered, I mean, it could have been published in the Onion, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it, it's that. Um, you can't tell the difference between that, you know, passages from that paper and passages from so-called real papers. So in my little ex- explanation I wrote of why we published the expose uh, was uh, at the same time, uh, or just before that paper came out, was the uh, feminist glaciology paper, which when I, when I read that, I thought, oh, this has got to be an onion thing or something, or it's a hoax. I thought it was a hoax before I even, this is before the, the, the Bogosian paper. And it turns out that's not a hoax. Okay, so this is the point. If you can't tell whether a paper paper is real or not, then what what what's really going on here? Uh, and uh, so anyway, that's you know it's it's not the kind of thing we want to do. I probably won't do it again. Uh, I mean, I'm not into hoaxing journal editors. I'm an editor. I would I'd be a little pissed off maybe if somebody <laughs> hoaxed hoaxed me. So that isn't really the point. Uh, it isn't to try to trick editors. 
at all. It's you know the sort of larger use of language uh, and the clarity of language and how how important that is. Anyway, that was it. And yeah, in the the paper itself, uh, if if you read it on its own, like I will agree with you. If you any anybody who spent any amount of time like on the site Tumblr uh, reading a lot of. I guess what people would refer to as like extreme, like social justice warrior type speak, uh, it, it it certainly does read that, that way, and it, and I think it is an excellent piece of satire, and I don't I don't know the outrage or uh, what the reason people are upset. I don't I don't think is because the paper was written. I think it's because. We're, what we're what what happened was in the in the skeptic uh, ma- magazine article uh, th- that I read here uh, is we took the, the a paper it was it was published in a journal that has no impact factor it was pu- it, it it is pay to play it is it is a predi- one of those predatory journals and in, instead of saying this is what happened this we got it published and leaving it at that i feel like a lot of the claims and statements that were made don't necessarily line up with what actually happened or just just we don't have that supporting evidence there so i i, I feel like it's slightly intellectually dishonest to say that it it shows that there is this massive problem in uh, the the realm of uh, gender study uh, in gender studies journals, and I feel like it does it does a lot to. I understand what you're saying it is it's a lot of these papers like I've I hadn't uh, heard of the glacial uh, <laughs> the glaciers Science gender places, in science yeah. I think is I think is what it is I, I just looked it up here and uh, it talks about uh, glaciers as. And somehow I haven't had a chance to read it, obviously, since we're here, but uh, that seems like it might be an entertaining read. Uh, but I think the the problem we run into is we're saying that this, you know, under the, the two prong uh, thing that we have uh, one for, you know, predatory journals and, and of course, the whole backstory of how it was submitted to one journal, and then referred out to to this other one. And that I, I absolutely agree looks really shady. Uh, but the main problem is we, we're taking we're taking something that happened and then saying saying something else happened whenever we have evidence or don't have that evidence and and I, and I feel like it's it's similar to a climate change denier saying well you know it's cold outside today so that means global warming isn't isn't true I feel like it it's not connecting the right dots in order to be able to to support that. Okay. Um, well, first, I, I I I don't think the journal was a predatory journal. I don't. Um, I, I think it was above that, but below most respectable journals. They, I, they had to pay what, pre- like six hundred dollars, I think, or something, to get it. Yeah, and they never published. and they never paid anything. Pete told me they, you know, they never. I mean, they sent a bill and never wanted to collect or anything. I don't know. Well, but maybe it's just super sloppiness. It, and that's and that, but again, that, I don't I, really, to me, it doesn't matter. Yeah, right, right. And I, and I know that's not that's not your side, and of course, you can't speak to that. But I, I f- feel like that that argument as well. We didn't pay anything. Well, they billed you for it. You were they. There was an expectation <laughs> yeah. of payment, so it's yeah, so it's like yeah, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but but let's let's pull back for a second. Like like the feminist glacier paper. Uh, okay, I'm not really sure I understood it that well. Reading it, it's like okay, what are they really trying to say here? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then somebody pointed me to a TED talk the the lead author uh, gave on this, and it's a pretty good talk. I mean, she makes the point that 
you know, most of the studies done on glaciers over the past two centuries are by men Mm -hmm. and that maybe women would come at it a different way. Okay. All right. That's, you know, that's, I can see where that would happen more say in the social sciences and maybe some of the biological sciences, maybe less so than in the physical sciences. Uh, I don't know. Brett, Brett Weinstein makes an interesting point about that. Uh, in a recent video he made, you know, he's the guy from From, middle, uh, from um, Evergreen. Evergreen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, he's pretty sympathetic uh, to, you know, know, liberal progressive causes and so on. Um, And and so anyway, he made an interesting point, like, for example, why do bower birds build these big blue nests? And, you know, and so a male biologist might go, well, because to attract females, (laughs) because that's what we guys do. Whereas a female may have a different perspective. Anyway, that was his point. I thought, yeah, okay, all right, sure. Um, so, but but I think a lot of the reasonable points that uh, you know some of these gender studies papers may be making get lost in the jargon, um, and, and and I think it's a little different than say the jargon you'd see in say a quantum physics paper. Um, you know, they're like, I, I wouldn't know that Alan Sokol wrote a hoax paper unless he told me it was a hoax paper. Mm-hmm. The part in the parts where he's talking about quantum physics, because I don't e- I don't even understand quantum physics. So how would I know it's made up? Uh, and it's but I think the gender and also the lit crit uh, 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 language and jargon and stuff is is obfuscating enough. It, it's it's not helping its own cause by making points that say in that TED talk seem kind of reasonable like okay i can see that point yeah i guess i guess the thing that was um i guess disheartening in a sense when all of this was was coming out and being talked about um and you know the people that we talk to might be different than the people you talk to you know with it but i feel like a lot of the feedback and what i felt was that it seemed like there was this oh like we pulled one over on the on this particular field, you know, of, of gender studies. And I, you know, I'm not an expert in gender studies. That's not my realm. But at the same time, it was this, like, they're, they got a bullshit paper published, read it. It looks like a, you know, it does read like the onion, but I felt and like it's funny. And I mean, it, it it's funny. like, it's, we got to recognize that. Like it's, it, it's good and it's like, for what it is. For satire it is. Um, but it was that sort of, I want to say self-congratulatory feel, you know, feeling that went along with it that it's like, oh man, this just, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel good in the name of skepticism that it's like, oh, yeah. you know what, it, you kind of get what I'm saying here? Like it just, I do. Uh, uh, it felt sort I, I of do. embarrassing uh, in a way. And I don't know. Okay. So that, that I guess. I'm looking for my, um, yeah. Uh, Alan Sokol wrote a nice piece for us here. Um, let me find what he said here that I thought was pretty clever. Um, that if you reversed it, mm-hmm. um, like so, he writes here. Um, it indeed seems likely that at cogent social sciences, the journal in mm-hmm. question, the flattery of the editor's moral and ideological preconceptions helped to dull their critical faculties and smooth the way to publication of a grossly deficient manuscript. To be sure, Bogosian and Lindsay did not carry out a controlled experiment, but suppose they had. Imagine they had selected a sample of lower-tiered sociology or gender studies journals and then sent to a randomly chosen half of them an article contending with equally flimsy arguments that that toxic hyperfemininity, Mm -hmm. 
is the conceptual driver behind much of climate change. For example, and then Sokol makes up something that he, you know, that maybe would run the experiment here, that he would, that you might send in. Toxic hyperfemininity leads to a rampant consumerism and profligate overconsumption of superflu <laughs> superfluous luxury goods, for they are luxuries to the overwhelming majority of humankind, principally apparel, cosmetics, and celebrity magazines. While some of this excess is sustainably recycled via donations of last year's fashion to charity shops, the vast majority ends up unused in closets, to the annoyance of male partners who urgently require the space for sporting equipment and pornographic magazines, <laughs> or in landfills, or is exported to developing countries by predatory pseudo-charities undermining the local clothing manufacturers. Furthermore, 30% of non-biogradable waste in landfills is composed of disposable diapers, which are a direct consequence of toxic hyperfemininity via its exploitation of male sexual weakness. In all these ways, the conceptual vagina, a performative social construct that is isomorphic to an especially toxic strain of femininity, is revealed as the conceptual driver behind much of climate change. Full stop. And then, and then Sokol asks, would a modified article along these lines have fared as well as the original? I doubt it. And that's the point. Now, now, so without running that experiment, which would tell us something, then we don't really know what the hoax paper did. But you see his point, it, you know, that if you, if you flipped the gender and, and reversed the, the logic, uh, then probably most journals would reject it because they have a certain particular perspective. But uh, see, I, just my, my 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 problem there though is there there's a there was a and of course uh, I don't know that this uh, came from you I've uh, only heard uh, some interviews with uh, the actual writers of the paper, um, but they uh, like continuously make make that point that well this proves that there's this big underlying problem and we could have uh, you know we could have published it in a more uh, prestigious journal we could have. Uh, written it a little, you know, toned it down a little bit, but, uh, but we didn't. And, but if you, if they had, I just, yeah. and I know, I know you didn't write it and that's just, that's, that's, again, we're, we're, I feel like we're overstate, like grossly overstating, uh, you know, whatever I, for lack of a better word, accomplishment, um, that, that was, that was made with that by saying that, well, we, it, had we done this, well, you literally had the infinite amount of time, you know, to try again and, and, and do that. So if I, I feel like it would have been a much stronger argument had it been published in something that was actually, actually had any semblance of a yeah. journal that had any semblance well, of credibility. Maybe that's why people like the so-called hoax in the long run. But again, I, I, I remember when that happened, um, we were just a couple of years into the publication of Skeptic Magazine and 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 Sokol got hammered pretty hard by academics across the board. I remember Stephen Jay Gould was was really critical of of it. And and now people kind of look back on it as like, oh yeah, that was a great hoax. Well, why? What's the difference? And I guess maybe it's the quality of the journal. Because I don't know if you if you could say that the the Alan Sokol hoax worked in any quantifiable way. I mean, did it change the the structure or nature of lit crit journals? Did they did they become more rigorous or did they become less obfuscatory in their jargon and language. You know, I don't know. I, I've never checked, but I don't think anyone has. But uh, so it's not even clear in Sokol's own article for us that 
he thinks that hoax papers work. <laughs> uh, you know, he 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 said it it kind of did, kind of didn't. The, the 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 most recent one it mostly didn't work. That was his opinion, and you know, we published that. I didn't I didn't tell him what he he should say about it. Mm. Uh, and uh, so you know, I don't know. I'm not sure even what the criteria would be uh, for judging whether a paper worked or not based on subsequent journal articles or I don't know. Well, I, I, yeah. And I guess I just feel like, I feel like, you know, it's, we have two cars that are racing against one another. One of them is a junker. One of them is a sports car and the person driving the junker saying, well, if I had a better car, I would have won. Well, no shit. You would have won because you have a better product. You have, you have something that actually can get you there. And and I feel like that's, what's happening here is, is after the fact, um, and it, uh, you know, we're saying, well, you know, this, I would have won if, you know, X, Y, Z would have happened, but the the fact is it didn't happen and, and that's that's not there and I, I just don't feel like uh it's it's very representative and like I said earlier I feel like it's it's intellectually d- dishonest to uh to, to make make those those claims uh based on 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 what was said well you could you you could you can have Pete or Lindsay I guess Lindsay's been doing a, a number of podcasts I don't know if Pete's done any interviews about it I think uh, I think his Twitter said he's going underground for for a while for a book or something. Oh, he's working on his book, yeah. Anyway, so um, but you know, uh, but but to pull back even bigger, um, mm-hmm. you know, the subject of gender studies and all that. I in, in in a way, it is part of moral progress that I wrote about in the moral arc. That is, uh, you know, the recognition of bias in a society is that you know the first step in changing it. You have to you have to realize what the problem is and. And uh, so to that extent that, you know, that gender studies uh, journals publish articles that identify these uh, forms of bias. For example, um, you know, resumes are sent out, one with a male name, one with a female name, or journal articles are like in in physics are published. Some have a male name, one, the exact same paper, one has a male name, the other a female name. You know, there are differential rates of publication or citation and so on based, you know, so, and it's clear that there's still some bias, even in academia, which I find startling because academia is now full of liberals, people that, you know, were raised like I was in the sixties and seventies and eighties to be sensitive to these sorts of things. These are the very people that should be going out of their way because they, they verbalize overtly that they're liberal progressive, they support women's rights and so on. And 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 try actively not to discriminate, and yet it, it it still appears to be happening. So, but the question is, is for me is, but it, yes, of course, it's never going to be zero. But is it getting better? And I think it's getting better. I I think uh, today's conservatives are more socially liberal than liberals were in the 1950s. Now, maybe not economically conservative. They have different. The differences in tax tax preferences and things like that are still there, but but socially, you know how how gays are treated, women are treated, and so on is much better today than it was. And so one of my concerns about the the search for for discrimination and bias and so on is 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 finding it when it's not actually there. That is, you know, just the the constant hype about how terrible things are. Um, you know, much of it I think is driven by well, current events is driven by the uh, Trump's um, elect the election and, and Trump's victory. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and people are saying, "Oh, look, it, you know, it's just as bad as it's ever been." Or we're on this long-term slide for years. And you know, wait a minute, had, if Hillary had won, um, and would we even be talking about any of this? I mean, wouldn't we be saying, "Look, things have been 
progressively getting better. And look, now we have a woman president following a black president. See, things are getting better. But because of this, you know, Trump winning, it it it, it kind of feels to a lot of people like um, not just a step backwards, but like it, it's pulling the past along with it. Like this 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 bias against you know women and 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 immigrants and so on, all that. It has been there all along. I don't think so. And, uh, and and then finally, I guess the thing that concerns me about, you know, that's sort of what, what somebody called the oppression Olympics. Uh, I don't know who coined that, but, but, you know, this constant search for who's the most victimized group. Um, the fact is th- there, there are victims, real victims, and, and everybody's a victim of something, you know, now most of us in the modern world are not victims like anything at all like what it would have been centuries ago or if you lived in Syria or Somalia or North Korea now um, you know most of us don't experience anything like that and, and this constant you know sort of quest for finding you know ever increasingly smaller forms of discrimination or whatever um, makes you feel like a victim and, and being a victim makes you weak uh, everybody could could be a victim of something uh, if you go in search of it. And, and, and so th- this is just sort of my own pet peeve about worrying about uh, people that are always on the lookout for slights. And, and you know, even when people so, say some guy says something to a woman in the office or whatever, you know, maybe he doesn't mean he didn't mean it that way. But it, but if you're searching for it or you, you spin it or turn it into something that's that's negative. I think that that doesn't help. I think I think it can go too far. And so, I, I mean, the, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was going to say there. I mean, I there are certainly examples of people who who get easily offended or or are like you were kind of saying are looking for a reason uh, to, to be to be upset to get upset to to have that victim role. And I think a lot of that has to do. Um, and, and that I, I feel like one, that's the min- minority by far. Uh, they're just a loud minority, so that's why we think it's such a yeah. prevalent problem. Yeah. Uh, but two, I think that's that's just just a search for attention, just wanting to get attention any any way you possibly can. So I, I don't think we disagree there uh, on that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's but, true. Uh, and I would add with the like the Evergreen example we talked about. You know, there was maybe two hundred students in those videos that are all over the place, screaming and shouting and protesting and marching and and all that. But, you know, there's 40, what is it? 5,000 students there. So, you know, where were the other 4,800 in their dorm studying, just being normal students, you know? So it could be all of this is just, you know, blowing completely out of proportion just by the fact that the media covers things that happen, not things that don't happen. I mean, no one's going to, no one's going to take YouTube videos of students in a library quietly studying and go, look, here's another day at Evergreen without a protest. It's only when, people go crazy and start filming, you know, when, you know, like, like the neo-Nazis at Charlottesville, you know, oh my gosh, how many of these people are there? I don't think there's very many at all, but you know, they get the, the most attention, you know, that vice, that vice, uh, uh, segment film, um, has been viewed like 50 million times now of that nut job, uh, with all the guns and stuff. Um, and it makes it seem like, you know, they're in every neighborhood and I, I don't think so. See, and I, I guess I just wonder too where, you know, just looking at looking at skepticism as as an idea and a toolkit and something that hopefully we 
you know, everybody wants to use critical thinking and everything to make the world kind of a better place, right? In a sense. We, you know, we know Bigfoot doesn't exist. We, you know, hopefully one day we won't have, like, stupid shit like homeopathy and alternative medicine running people's lives. But I just, I'm wondering at this point, how can we, or, yeah, how can we use some of the critical thinking tools and all of that to intersect with the social justice type of world and those kind of issues? Because I... I don't know. I'm just, I'm just yeah. kind of feeling like yeah, it's a it's a super hard it's a, it's a hard question to answer yeah. because if you look at the history of the skeptical movement, you know, it started off, uh, you know, just debunking uh, psychics and you know that sort of thing, and it's mostly focused on the paranormal pseudoscience, you know. But but you know, like I have a, a quarterly magazine to pump out every three months. Mm-hmm. I have a column in Scientific American. I got to write every month. Got to come up with new topics, right? So we've all kind of expanded our sphere of what mm-hmm. we're going to incorporate and also what's out there. That's, you know, like vaccines. Okay, now vaccines is a thing because there's anti-vaxxers. Okay, mm-hmm. now that's kind of in our wheelhouse, but that didn't used to be the, the case and and so on. And, and th- then you start bumping into religion. Okay, so, you know, after uh, Richard's book, the, Dawkins, the, G- the God Delusion, you know, that kind of hyped everybody up into making skepticism, making the uh, criticism of religion part of skepticism, where that used to be not the case. It used to be part of humanism. And and humanism's um, attacks on religion were not uh, on the existence of God or any of that kind of stuff so much as it was uh, like women's reproductive rights and, you know, abortion issues and, um, you, you know, taking care of the, the homeless and, you know, free speech and separation of church and state. Those sorts of things. Um, so I guess the problem is 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 uh, a, a division of labor. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that so-called skeptics should be doing? Should we be involved in social justice issues involving politics? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I say, why not? I mean, we should just do whatever you know the, where we can apply science and critical thinking and reason to all issues. But here, clearly, we see that um, whereas we'd all agree on Bigfoot and psychics or whatever. We're not definitely not in agreement about, um, you, you know, social justice issues. Yeah, and I th- and, and clearly there's a huge division there. And I think that that's where maybe um, when this hoax paper came out, and it seemed to be really picking at this particular area that I think could then translate to social justice and all of that kind of thing. Like to say, you know, whatever we we pulled one over on the gender and women's studies field. Like, I I think that that possibly alienated, in a sense, some of the people who who cross over between skepticism and social justice and and want yeah. to, and and want to apply skepticism for you know a greater good. But I think so. I think that that's where there was some disappointment in people speaking out because you know, right. like fuck okay. fuck Bigfoot. Right. That's that's done. <laughs> Um, right. How right. how can we, you know? Well, and that's how that's how you're gonna yeah. even you see that with a lot of I, f- I feel like a lot of uh, atheist type personalities on YouTube and wherever is it's uh, 
you know, you can only talk about how gods don't exist so much before it gets boring. There's only so yeah, many. That, that, that's some, right. I know. I know. There, there's only so many ways to say, well, this is the fucking dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yes. And before you yeah. go, well, yeah, yeah. okay, now we can we can talk about all these other things, and that and then I feel like that kind of blends into humanism because I feel like humanism and atheism are two different. Well, I guess two I, different I would things. Re- recommend to your 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 followers, your viewers, that they go to skeptic.com and, and read Alan Sokol's. Uh, reflective paper on what hoaxes mean uh, and, and it's very thoughtful I mean he's you know it's like it could do this could do that this is good this is not good it's, I think it's very balanced he was you know he was somewhat praiseworthy of the Lindsay Bogosian hoax but then he said well but I think it didn't really work uh, the way they think it did okay mm-hmm. fair enough uh, and you-, you know that may- maybe there are certain things we can't resolve um through science. I mean, I, I, I like to think there's nothing we can't resolve, but could be there are, you know, like what's the right system of taxes? Uh, you know, how do we deal with poverty? I don't know. You know, I mean, there's free will determinism. I mean, there's certain things maybe we just can't. How do you know what's right and wrong? You know, these are some of the big issues that uh, skeptics definitely disagree about um, politically, metaphysically, whatever, philosophically, that maybe the maybe no evidence is going to resolve like where 99% of skeptics all agree, like Bigfoot doesn't exist, that this is the proper role of social justice, whatever. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Do you, no, do you know, did they, did, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, no, do you know, ahead. did whenever they, before they published this or even whenever, uh, before the article came out, do we know, did they talk to anybody that was, uh, at all actually in the field of gender studies, like any, any academics in the field? Uh, that I don't know. Okay. You know, Pete's at Portland State in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, L- Lindsay, I don't. Know, I actually don't know much about James Lindsay. I think he's a mathematician, so I don't know. Um, but I mean, Sokol, he didn't. I, I doubt he studied lit, lit crit field very extensively. He just read enough to know how to make up sentences. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I think I, I don't think you have to be an expert in, in it to. Uh, and if you're going to write, a, say, a, a critical piece about gender studies, like a reflective, you know, nonfiction, non-hoax paper, yeah, you should know something about it. I'm, I'm not sure why that would matter for hoaxing. I mean, if if the real well, I the think, people in the I think real field can't tell, I well, but they that's part of the problem is people in the real field didn't have a chance to review it in the first place. Yeah, okay. Uh, but right, the other, all right. all right, yeah, yeah. But all right. the the and other argument that. <laughs> the other argument there is we we don't we we're again we're overstating what like the significance uh, of of the accomplishment and by especially by not including because I I imagine ha- had they included that that would so, in all the interviews they've done uh, something would have been said about that and so I'm yeah. pretty confident in in my statement that I don't think they consulted anybody uh, yeah, in the field not. yeah probably not. Uh, but but if you take, I mean, back to the big, slightly bigger picture again and take the Brett Weinstein case at Evergreen, um, I mean, where are these students getting this idea that he's a racist? You know, here's a guy who self, self-identifies as progressive, deeply progressive, he said, you know, and, and, and gave examples in a long interview with Joe Rogan about, you know, what he's actually done in his life to help, you know, to help oppress minorities and so on. Okay, it's very moving. And uh, you know, here, here is these students are surrounding him, calling him a racist. Where are they getting this? Okay, well, in part, it's from their own professors who have been telling them, you know, there is entrenched racism. It is so deep, it's institutionalized that the white guys don't even know that they're racist. 
you know, and, and, and Brett Weinstein can stand there and say, I'm not a racist, but we know he is because whatever. And, and this is the concern is that, again, you're finding stuff that isn't really there. This guy is on your tank. He's on your team. He's on your side. And, and you know, th- this is the concern a lot of us have. It's gone I, too far. I think I think there is something to say that every I mean, if, if the person who says I don't see race, I'm colorblind is either stupid or lying because everybody is like whether we want to or not, everybody has a little bit of implicit racism. Uh, I listened to a NPR podcast uh, recently uh, about that uh, topic. And, and one of the examples that at least really spoke to me, and this was uh, uh, recommended by uh, Jessica Blumke Greif from a Friendly Atheist podcast when we had her on uh, was uh, uh, had this uh, this gentleman on, on the show talk about this time where he saw a, a African American walking down the street and thought, well, I'm going to watch him just to be safe, uh, or just to make sure that nothing happens, just to you know, in, just in case, uh, because you know we have this, the, you know, just inherently without even consciously thinking, uh, you know, this person, you know, is more likely to, to cause a crime or to, to be violent with somebody. And of course, like the story progresses and, you know, he caught himself doing that and said, what the fuck is wrong with me? And, and kind of the rest of the episode works through that. But I think to say, to say that, you know, racism doesn't exist or, uh, you, you know, there, there, there's to a certain extent, I mean, it's demonstrable that, uh, you know, African-Americans, people of color are, uh, treated differently by the legal system than, than white people. I don't, I don't think that's, I mean, that's, that's just a fact. So to say that it's not institutionalized to some extent and to say that, uh, you know, racism doesn't exist for most people is, is just simply, I, I think not true. I think the way I would phrase it would be that, um, yes, it's true that probably most of us harbor all kinds of, of uh, assumptions about other people. It's just the way our, our brains are, are wired up mm-hmm. uh, to classify things into categories. It's just what we do. Um, and, and that includes. Yeah, people. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the question is, what do you actually do about that? What do you do with it? Is it, does it really well, I think, alter your, your I think part of, part of the, part of the problem is, is denying that it exists in the first place though, by saying that, well, it's not institutionalized or uh, it's, it's an overblown problem. I think, I think that in itself is a problem because what, like as shitty as AA is, they at least got that right. First up is admitting you have a problem. So I, I think we have to, <laughs> we have to at least admit that there is a problem well, in the first place in order for yeah, us to be able okay, to, so, but, to but, right, let's, let's move away from it's black and white. Everything is racist. Nothing's racist or everyone's a racist. Oh, I didn't say, I didn't say everybody's a racist. I, I, know, I, I, I know you're there's... not, but I, I know you're not, but, but we should all just, just sort of do a little check on that say, okay, that's true. No, I, and um, I, I feel you on that part because I think just big, big picture talking, <laughs> we are, um, there are definitely issues right now where nuance is lost in the discussion, <laughs> unfortunately. And so, yeah, like, as yeah, yeah like I don't know if you knew, and maybe we should have said this before we invited you on the show. We are Nazis. Like I didn't know that because we think we <laughs> shouldn't punch people uh, based on uh, ideological differences. But we have uh, been called yeah, that. things like yeah. that. Things like that. I mean, that that's that absolutely exists, and there, there are people that say everybody they disagree with is a Nazi. Everybody uh, who doesn't, uh, you know, ev- you know, everybody's racist, or all white people <laughs> are racist, or you can't be racist against white people, or you know, whatever it is. Uh, but that again, like that's such a small minority in. And, and kind of tying that into to the to the paper, and, and I feel like the point that was kind of being made there is uh, that's yes, it exists and and it's a problem, but it's it's not 
necessarily as, as rampant of a problem as what what we perceive it as just because we, we of course as you know we, we tend to remember things that you know negative experiences or things like that right. so i so i think it's it's perceived as a as a larger issue whenever we you know m- hear or say uh you know or hear people say <laughs> rather uh, <laughs> everybody's racist everybody's a nazi or or, or whatever yeah, again, back to my previous point, uh, conservatives today are more liberal than liberals were in the 1950s. Uh, by that, I mean socially liberal. Uh, like, just take someone like Donald Sterling, the you know, the Clippers owner, L.A. Clippers owner, uh, you know, who made these disparaging remarks about African-Americans in the context of his mistress, uh, you know, taking pictures with African-American ballplayers at the at the games and so on. And, and uh uh, you know, so he, he loses his, his franchise and so on, and he's vilified. Um, okay, but in the 1950s, most old guys thought like that. You know, my father, I had two fathers, a bio dad and stepdad. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they were probably both definitely more, say, racist than I am. And, and I'm probably more racist than my kids, you know, and so on. I mean, it's sort of a generational thing. And in, in a way, you can kind of predict a lot of these racial attitudes based on when someone was born. You know, are you a silent generation are you a baby boomer are you a gen x millennial whatever and what what that's tracking these are proxies for the larger cultural zeitgeist shift toward not being that way and it's not just so much uh first you change behavior but then you change thoughts my example of this is witch burning you know it's illegal uh to burn women uh for cavorting with the satan in the middle of the night okay it's illegal you can't do it (laughs) But 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 I don't I don't need it to be illegal because it never even enters my mind to do that because I don't believe in demons and satans and so on. so ultimately you know that's where we want to get we're not there with say race but we're a lot further than we were two centuries ago a century ago fifty years ago even twenty years ago and um, and, and so yeah anyway so I yeah and and regarding that I mean it just it just is one of those topics right now that's so much on the forefront with like what happened in Charlottesville and all, and you know, just everything. And I mean, do you, do you think that, that it is a product of this sort of Trump presidency slash like regime of uh, just. I think regime is a, is a, is the right (laughs) word you want to use there. I kind (laughs) of, I kind of had to, but, um, but do you, do you think that that's partially to blame for, for just how uh, well, much it's it, out there. It, 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 it's, uh, it certainly makes us uh, notice it more because it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, everyone's talking about this stuff. And then that hypes a few of these people. Again, I, you know, how many of these crazy, you know, Nazi people are, are there? Mm-hmm. I, you know, and more than one. Say, cause, I mean, how many, know, do, how many do, do, do there need to be? In, yeah, that, well, a problem. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, if it was, you know, like 20% of all Americans agree that, you know what what some of these guys were saying about jews and blacks and so on yeah then it would still be a, a big problem i don't think it's 20 i don't think it's two percent i think it's like 0.02 percent i think some of these wing nuts are they they just like to go out and march and and stir up trouble um and anyway so i, I again just I, 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 it's not that it, again i think it had hillary won you know we wouldn't even be talking about any of this stuff but those people would still be there because the alt-right has been around for decades. They, they were just called something different. It's not a Trump phenomenon. I mean, you go back to the 90s when I was doing stuff on the Holocaust deniers. And, you know, who are these people? Well, the, you know, a lot of them are these sort of far-right economic nationalists, racial nationalists, and so on. 
um, saying a lot of, you know, like, uh, like Pat Buchanan, uh, no, uh, yeah, Patrick B. Buchanan, sort of an economic nationalist. A lot of these guys had, had what we would today call the alt-right, uh, and, and they were much more prominent then. And it was a little bit like the militias became really big after Waco and Ruby Ridge in the early 90s. And it's like, yeah, but we're going to stand up to the government. We're going to arm ourselves to the teeth and we're going to fight back. And then Oklahoma City bombing happens and boom, that was the end of that. The militias just basically disbanded. No one wanted anything to do with them because, you know, th this is what it could lead to. I'm not sure Charlottesville will be the Oklahoma City bombing ending of the current neo-Nazi alt-right movement. Maybe there needs to be more carnage. I don't know. Uh, but basically the idea is that when extremists go too far, the support they might have had from the centrists mm -hmm. will go away and then they're they're left unmoored and then they just disappear. And I think that's what will happen with these people. Again, I don't think it's that many uh, to whatever extent they had some support from people more in the sort of mainstream right. I think that's now dwindling because Again, that Vice video, 50 million people saw that, and, and you could see what th these guys are just insane. They're out of their minds. It, it's out of their minds. No one wants to do anything with them. No, it's, uh, it was terrifying to watch some of that and just see that th these are people that hold these really extreme and scary ideologies. And I, and I guess to see things like that, to see what, you know, just some of what's out there in the world right now in terms of ideas. And I think that the goal of... I mean, I guess us and all, you know, people on hopefully the right side of things is to spread good ideas, critical thinking, all of that. And I think that's, again, part of the the skeptics toolkit is to do what we can to help spread good yeah. ideas and yeah. and taking into account the different elements of the you know political, social climate. I guess what I want to end on is asking you, what do you think the future of sort of the skeptical movement looks like and how how could that po like positively impact the world we're living in? Uh, well, um, I guess just first of all, the demographics. I mean, when when I got into it, I mean, we started Skeptic Magazine 25 years ago this year. Mm -hmm. It's our 25th anniversary. Uh, and then it, you know, it was pretty much old white guys complaining about the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, women or, and there's still not a lot of people of color, but e even that's starting to, to change now. So I think as, as the demographic shift comes over the decades, you'll just see more women, more youth, more minorities, people of color and so on. Uh, but, 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 but even that's not quite what I'd like to see, which is that everybody should be skeptical. I mean, these are tools everybody should use. Don't, don't call yourself a skeptic. Just call, I'm a critical thinker. Mm -hmm. And I think like a scientist, this is, you know, what I try to teach my students at my skepticism 101 class at Chapman is like, this is for everybody, not just for people who are skeptics. Um, there really, in that sense, there really is no such thing. It's just like the, uh, everybody should be a critical thinker. You know, whether you're buying a car, voting for a politician, uh, deciding about an economic policy or foreign policy, to whatever extent we can apply the tools of science and reason to coming up with an answer, even if we don't agree on the answer. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, one of the things about democracy is it, it, why Jefferson called it an experiment is because um, no one knows how to run a country or a society. Uh, so we have to do it together in, in kind of a uh, real time, constantly changing the variables and that's what democracy is. And so 
uh, we can have 50 different experiments like we have in America. Like, so we have 50 different states. They all have their own state constitution. And all the constitutions are a little bit different. This, these are experiments. So two side-by-side -side states have different gun control laws. Okay, well, we can, we can study that and try to control for other variables, poverty or whatever, uh, and then see what the outcomes are in terms of number of homicides, number of suicide, gun homicides, gun suicides, and accident, gun accidents, and, and see what the effects of gun control laws are, which is why I changed my mind. I used to be against gun control. Then I decided, nope, you know, I think we need some gun control. I used to be for, for the death penalty sort of now i'm against the death penalty uh, again just by looking at the evidence and data and, and so on there's certain principles behind it too do i really want the state to have that much power that could kill people anyway so uh but but i but even if you and i can't agree on gun control or abortion or or, or the death penalty we should at least agree there's a method by which you and i can arrive at our own conclusions and then agree to disagree because that's the only way to, and not have violence enter into the equation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that respectful dialogue and, you know, engagement like that, you know, and, and again, I've, we have been called not very nice names because we say, like, let's not be violent with people and let's talk and do all that you know, ridiculous stuff. But, but I think that, you know, being able to communicate with people who have different worldviews, even, even within the sort of skeptic community, I think as many conversations as can be had, about, even about things like conceptual penis hoaxes, I think just ha like having the conversations is important. And that's a big part of, you know, yeah, yeah, I, this whole I, I agree. World. So, yeah, like, so I, I appreciate you coming on and talking to us tonight about all this stuff and yeah, I don't want your your listeners think. I mean, Skeptic Magazine is now the official publication of all hoaxes. I mean, it's just one <laughs> thing we did in twenty five years. You know, yeah, not that's not anything like that again, right? Uh, you know, we, it's we not didn't a thing to do to... over and over. It, it just you know, okay, now we're on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and we didn't intend on on spending uh, <laughs> so much time. On, oh, it's okay. On that here. I, I don't mind uh, talking about it. Uh, but uh, so if people want to read, see, hear more about your work, can they go to do that? On the internet. Oh, uh, skeptic.com is our you know, webpage for the magazine and the society. We're a 501c3 nonprofit, so you can support us through skeptic.com. And uh, michaelshermer.com is my personal webpage. And, uh, of course, my books are on Amazon and all that. So, and, and actually, Skeptic's in every bookstore in North America, so you can go by and grab one. I think the current issue has bill nye on the cover and that might, that might have been the previous issue uh so uh yeah cool well thank you so much and um you're welcome thanks yeah, for having me thank you keep up the good work thank you we're all in this together yes <laughs> <laughs> This week, the reason we love the internet is the, I, th I think, our first Instagram yeah, account, it's our first. Uh, which I don't understand Instagram so much, and I use it, and I have however many, 8,000, 9,000 something followers on it, but I don't understand how that happens. So if anyone has tips for growing an Instagram following, let me know, because I'm a man and people probably don't want to see sexy pics of me wearing clothes that don't fit so much, which is what I have to assume. Anyway, that's a topic of another podcast, but is the... <laughs> 
went off the rails. Yeah, you, is, you really <laughs> you, we, we derailed. Like this is this has become a trolley problem. We um, uh, or something. Yeah. And it yeah, and it it went it went it went uh, south pretty quickly there. Uh, it but it's the Instagram account uns, unspirational. Unspirational. Uh, clever use of in instead of uh, but of course they had and nothing complicated just uh text on a background and text and i kind on of backgrounds i kind of feel like these are things like phrases and sentences that should be read with dramatic music playing in the background you know where it just you're you're trying to make it sound like something something truly inspirational is going to you know come out of your mouth but you say something like, if you love something, set it free or on fire. I'm sorry or, I didn't respond to your text. It's just that I don't care about your feelings. Or never, period. Give up, period. <laughs> That's it. Let's see. We're doomed. If at, if first, at first you don't succeed, no. <laughs> it's probably never going to happen. Yeah. A yeah. good place to put your opinion is up your ass. Which again, that is the topic of another podcast. But there's also, I'd rather be sleeping. Mm-hmm. Every morning. Please don't talk to me unless you oh. are food. Which are we referring to? <laughs> are we talking about cows here, pigs, or are we talking about imagining, hallucinating, and imagining our food? Talking. I have, I have more questions than there are answers. I I don't know, but every morning, wake up and scream your dreams into a garbage can where they belong. I yeah. See, I feel like that's that's a lot of extra effort that is not necessarily required in order to accomplish the same goal. Uh, you can just yeah. tell people, "Hey, fuck off," and yeah. I feel like that does just as good of a job. All right, and then I guess this is good. Every day is another opportunity to fuck it all up again. Oh, these are is. these are so inspirational. But it is. Yeah. It, but it is like every best day. Case, yeah. Best case scenario, any given day, nothing goes wrong. So yep. you know, there's that. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of into this. Like, this is this is my jam here. So, yeah. I mean, we could literally go on. I could, I could go on. Evening. I could go on forever with these. As they yeah. have well, not well, here, I mean, right, it so, is it is finite. They they have five hundred eighty three posts true. and six hundred forty four thousand followers. How so few posts, so many followers? I don't understand that. All right, I have I have one one for you. I am very embarrassed to be your friend. I'm I live my life in a constant state of being embarrassed. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jk. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you find find one final one because I yeah because really I I could oh, read one all final I've already navigated away from the page so this is oh, me God, furiously scrolling. God damn it! Scroll harder, <laughs> scroll harder, Broadbent. Come on. <laughs> this one this one's a little dated, but uh, <laughs> I don't I, I feel like it needs to be re- redone or revisited. We'll say. I can't wait for this election to be over so I can shut the fuck up about it. Well, Ooh. can't wait for the next can't uh, wait three for and that half years to be to over. Eat their words and I don't know something terrible. <laughs> you can't. Gotcha. You you can't because we are in a never ending. Shut up about fire. it. 
Yeah. And speaking of not shutting up about it, you should check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash TSE podcast. Uh, you get access to early episodes and commercial free episodes. And even for this episode with uh, Dr. Shermer, we had a over half an hour of yeah. bonus content of just Nally and I reflecting on it and uh, just kind of kind of trying to figure out what happened. Uh, with uh, with everything, but that's uh, again topic of another podcast. Uh, but if you want to, you know, give us money for existing and putting out this show every week, every other week, we're thinking about going to twice a week once we hire an editor. But that's uh, something to talk about at the next company meeting. Uh, we would be incredibly grateful, and if not, you can just uh, share our podcast, give us a five star rating or four star or one star or whatever. I don't care if you give us a one star; just tell us why. That's that's the worst. <laughs> oh, it sucks. Well, no, you know what? You suck at leaving ratings. You know, you know, one star to your one star rating, sir, sir, uh, or or ma'am. <laughs> I don't want to assume or, that. Or ma'am. Let Let's not Let's not jump to the conclusion that yeah, the dude hates us. I well. The topic of another podcast again, but if you would be be you know give us money for for just existing, uh, just like Trevor and Nathan and Alice and Cynthia and Michael and Lizzie in the lab and Magnus and Sub Hannah and Felix and Chris and Michael and Michael and Joe and Sarah and Josue, uh, we would be incredibly grateful. And I have to thank uh, personally on my Patreon. I have a few new patrons to thank, such as Dio. I don't know how to say this name. D I O G K O, but the G is capitalized. Uh, Soren Kongstad. It's it's in Soren's like with a little like slash through the o uh so i don't i don't know if i'm saying that right or not uh because i feel like the the slash through the o is just extra efforts and if if you still pronounce it soren but i'm sure i'm saying that wrong so i look forward to the hate mail and the deleted patron uh for pronouncing his name wrong and then spending 30 seconds talking about it but you can also reach out to us at patreon.com or not (laughs) patreon.com podcast at scienceenthusiast.com our facebook page uh or I mean, we you can just message us directly on Facebook too. I mean, we respond there sometimes if I'm not banned for thirty days. But uh, this is a train wreck, so it's a perfect metaphor for for life, uh, for mm-hmm. this podcast, for this uh, <laughs> for this episode. Uh, so why don't you uh, you know hit us with a quote? All right. So this is Kurt Vonnegut saying. I am a humanist, which means in part that I have tried to behave decently without any expectation of rewards or punishments after I'm dead. So pretty much live well while you're living. Be good to other people, right? And yeah, don't be a fucking dick. Yeah, and it, you know, if you can, uh, forego becoming a patron with us and donate some money to Foundation Beyond Belief. I believe it's foundationbeyondbelief.org, Red Cross, or any any credit creditable uh, charity that that you know of, because they, holy shit, uh, definitely Help need is needed right now. Need that yeah. more than more than we do, certainly. Yeah. So. So yeah, that. well. So there's, there's that. An episode. Um, that's oh, that's a wrap. So wait. So when? What, yeah, you did it. So when is? I did is it. this? When is this coming out? Do we tell people? Are people going to hear this tomorrow during the day? Do we tell them to come back for Rick and Morty tomorrow night at eight p.m. Eastern? Well, we can time? say we can say we'll we'll be recording, I believe, a video live. Yeah. Uh, of our Rick and Morty uh, crossover with real atheology episode, where we 
discuss uh, Rick and Morty and try our damnedest not to sound like fucking stoners the whole time. No, no, no. We we, we will not. Justin and, and Ben are, are going to smarten it up for us with the philosophy stuff. Or no, or we're, all four of us are just going to sound like... There you yeah. go. There you go. We talked about not being too self-deprecating in our last uh, in our last company meeting, and so so I appreciate that those efforts. There. Yeah. To... <laughs> we're we're all going to be fantastic. It's going to be really fun. No, I'm I'm super stoked. <laughs> it'll be the best. Do... It'll be it'll it, be it'll be the greatest. It's going to be it's going to be the greatest. I'm stoked to talk about Rick and Morty and just kind of nerd out over something that's fun, because you know. Well, I mean, what I was going to say. It'll be it'll be an interesting experience, but the world everything's meaningless or something, right? But, but... Yeah. But it'll be fun. So so if you are listening to this and are not doing anything at eight p.m., you know, listen to us. We'll be on. Or go to the YouTube <laughs> channel, or or you could. I mean, in, in if you want to hear us ramble, for again, I can't emphasize enough. It's over half an hour. Over half an hour. Our bonus content uh, was solid. Out. Yeah. It was solid over half an hour. Over half an hour. Over half an hour. Over. You get to you get to hear how uh, we actually how we talk off off air, which is pretty much how we over, talk on for air. Over half an hour. How how long did are we, we talk? communicating the inside joke? Over. Are we communicating the inside joke effectively? Is that how inside I, jokes work? You I, you tell people repeatedly what the inside joke is, but don't tell them what it's about. Just tell them that it's over half an hour. Oh my god. I think all right. Is it, this I, joke is so inside that I don't understand it. So I should I should have just stopped talking when he said that's a wrap. But I wanted to add <laughs> over. But, but but I wanted to advertise. Okay, it's over. It's over. <laughs> it's over. It's done. It's done. Done. Wrapped. Cut. Printed. The music you heard tonight was written and performed by Adam Johnson and was used with his permission. You can contact Adam at adamjohnsondc at gmail.com. This podcast is property of Not Narrow or Straight LLC, all rights reserved.